Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this day. Thank you that we have the opportunity of being co-laborers with you in your work of personal ministries. Please help us to understand how we can do that work most efficiently, most effectively for the upbuilding of your kingdom and the winning of souls. Help each local church truly to be a training center for Christian workers. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. The Yes, somebody mentioned the title of this seminar series is Personal Ministry Special Forces Training. It's a really cool militaristic theme, but the, the reality is, is the Personal Ministries Department has been tasked with getting every member of the church involved in some form of outreach ministry. In fact, if you haven't read it, I want to share with you a couple of things right at the beginning from the Seventh-day Adventist Church Manual. By the way, this is the 2015. It's updated every year, uh, every five years at the General Conference session. And this is voted on. All the amendments and uh, edits to this document are voted by the World Church. Okay? Now, I'm not saying that this holds the same weight as a biblical belief or one of our fundamentals or something like that. But it is the uh, agreed-upon working organizational document of our church around the world. And so it should be regarded as such. And on page 100, we find this about the personal ministries department. Okay? Personal Ministries provides resources and trains members to unite their efforts with those of the pastor and, church and officers in soul-winning service. So notice the two things you're supposed to do is provide resources and train members to cooperate in the work of soul-winning. Okay? In fact, if you go over to page 132, when you look at the work of the board, one of the items you're supposed to discuss every month at the church board meeting is the work of the Personal Ministries Department. Specifically, it says here, encourage the personal ministries department to enlist all members and children in some form of personal outreach, parentheses, missionary service. Training classes should be conducted in various lines of outreach ministries. Okay? So if you notice the verbs there, you're supposed to enlist people, you're supposed to equip people, you're supposed to train people, and get them deployed or employed in some form of work. Now that's a pretty large task. And uh, as we mentioned earlier in the Sabbath School one, the, the personal ministries department of the conference gets to work with lay people across the board and our goal is to get all 26,600 and whatever, seven Davinists in Michigan, every single one of them, not just attending church or staying in the church, but to be active participants in the work of the church, which is the winning of souls. Now. And notice it said in some form. That doesn't mean that everyone's going to do the exact same thing. And if you were in the, um, you've heard the phrase total member involvement. Okay, that's an initiative of the General Conference. And if you were in the Emanuel Institute, I asked this trick question yesterday, but I don't know if any of you were, so I get to ask it here. If every member, if a local church had total member involvement, every single member were active in ministry, would your church grow? See, I told you ahead of time it's a trick question. <laughs> The answer is not necessarily, okay? Because for instance, if everybody did felt needs community service right work, but nobody was giving Bible studies, nobody was doing evangelism, uh, public evangelism, nobody was doing those, you wouldn't have growth. Now you might, be, might have a good reputation in the community, people might appreciate you, but you gotta do something with it, okay? Now the personal ministries department is trying to get everybody somewhere in that cycle. Not everybody's going to be pre preparing the soil. Some people are going to be in Bible studies, some people. But in gathering specifically, 
is one of those wonderful, wonderful activities to especially impact the community in that very first phase, that preparing the soil of the heart so that they can build credibility. Now, um, we have, I'm gonna, if I, sorry, can I just jump to your testimony a little bit? Because you are someone who has a wonderful testimony about ingathering from the perspective of someone who at first had no idea what ingathering was. So Joyce, from the Ithaca Church, would you mind standing up and sharing, come on in brother, sharing your testimony. I'm going to hand this to you just so we can make sure we get it on the recording. But A number of years, someone knocked on my door and it was in gathering. I had no idea what it was, but I was so impressed by his kindness because I didn't have any money to give him. It was a very hard time and he was still so kind. He said, oh, I see you have a little girl here and he was interested in me. And he gave me some materials, and uh, I did look them over. And there was a card where you could send away for some materials. And I thought, I'm going to send for that. But I put it aside. And as time went on, it got lost. And things in life changed. I was really desperate. I knew I needed that information that was on that card. And, and I kept praying. I said, Lord, send the man back. Because I figured maybe, you know, since he was asking for, you know, money and showing, you know, what they did in the community, I thought, well, he'll maybe be back next year. But he never came. He never came. I even went to the extent of asking the neighbors, does he come every year? And I said, oh, yes, he does. And he always comes in and visits, and he's so nice and so kind and has prayer with us. And I was so impressed by that. But he never came, and he never came. And I prayed. I said, Lord, please send the man back. But he never came. And I just kept praying. And as time went on, I told my babysitter that, you know, I'm going to start a Bible, start Bible studies and, and um, start an exercise program for Lent this year instead of doing other things. So she told me about a Bible study that she was going to. And so I decided, well, that helped get me started. So I go to this Bible study, and guess who was at that Bible study? The man was at that Bible study. I was so excited. I said, this is what I've been looking for. And so it was really an Adventist prayer meeting, um, and it was, a, they, it was a powerful studies, and I just loved it. I couldn't study it all fast enough. But I was so happy to find the man, but of course I was kind of embarrassed and shy, and I didn't say anything to him. But as time went on, I did get baptized. And I always value ingathering because that was my first information about Adventism. And it was through his demeanor, his kindness, his lovingness. And so I value ingathering so very much. So when we get our packets together, there is always, I mean always, a card in there for Bible studies because people are hungering for the truth. There may be somebody out there on your street, in your community, that's praying, Lord, send me the truth. Send me light. They are looking for hope. And uh, it's just a simple knock on the door, a simple being kind, a smile on your face, being genuinely interested in them. That's all it takes. And as years did go by, I did tell him. 
And he was very humble about it. But the reason I found out he never came back is that he had cancer and he didn't really have much longer to live. And as time went on, his family did invite us over for Vespers on Friday and we had meals together. So his family is really close to you. I don't know if any of you know um, Ed and Marge Pomeroy. Some of you might know them. Uh, that was the gentleman, Ed Pomeroy was his name. And the pastor at the time was Don McIntosh, the father. So I have a passion for ingathering, and it's been almost 40 years now, and the passion has not grown dim. So it's just great to go out on the streets every year, uh, inspire the church members to do the same, but it's this very special experience, and it's a fire that just never goes out. So I encourage each of you to have in-gathering because there may be somebody praying for the light that you're bringing to that door. Amen. Now, what do you, do you mentioned something when we talked about that earlier about when you go out in gathering, what do you make sure is always part of your, because of your experience, what do you make sure is part of your in gathering process? I make sure there's some type of offer in there for Bible studies. Uh, now, re, now, recently we have the BibleStudyOffer.com, but I had usually put in the Amazing Facts Bible Study card. That's one that I use, uh, and now sometimes we use, a, we use the BibleStudyOffer.com one too. And also try to maybe have another small truth-filled literature in the bag, have something in there about our community service center uh, building because, you know, a lot of people in our town are familiar with that. Excellent. So you make sure that it's not just soliciting funds for whatever, but you're actually trying to get Bible study interest through this because you mm -hmm. are someone who had that very experience. Right. You're in the church because of that initial in-gathering Right. Fantastic. Praise the Lord. Does anyone have any questions for Joyce? She was going to share her testimony a little bit today. Yes, sir. Yeah, we met uh, Joyce at a uh, personal ministries weekend a uh, year, couple years back, I guess now. I don't remember it was a year or two. Whatever, but uh, it was fascinating because I remember in-gathering growing up as a kid, and how many? I don't know how many of you have had the in-gathering as a church social experience in your past, uh, but we would go out in the Christmas time, and we, in the fall of the year, the winter time, and we'd go door to door, and we'd sing to the, to the neighborhood and that kind of stuff, and someone would have the courage to be the one to go knock, and someone would go ask, you know, and say, Hi, we're from wherever it was, you know, and we're tr trying to collect funds for the needy in our community, and we were wondering if you'd be able to, and all the time they're like, glow, and, it, and it's very courier and Ives, it's very, you know, it's, it's just wonderful, and uh, we would go back to the church after that and have a, have a church social time, you know, we'd have hot cider and popcorn and those kind of things, it was just a really great time, but as a kid, I never really quite understood what we were doing out there. We were singing, we were collecting funds to help people. And really, that's all the community really knows about it either. But as the leaders, you should probably understand a little bit more about what in-gathering really is for. Why do we do this thing, okay? Now, to illustrate this, there's an interesting thing in the Bible. In Exodus chapter 12, and we're just passing around a sign-up sheet so they want to keep attendance to see how many people come to these different things and whatnot. Um, in Exodus chapter 12, if you have your Bibles, you can see this here. You know, the Lord had been really uh, quite rough on Pharaoh, trying to get him to change his mind and let God's people go. And the plagues had gone by, and 
Um, finally, he relented after that most terrible plagues. And you would think that after, you know, the blood had turned to, to uh, I mean, the water had turned to blood and there had been frogs and there had been dust and lice and, I mean, just terrible stuff. And finally, the firstborn dying, you would not like the Israelites. <laughs> but, and, and I always kind of thought, for some reason reading this, that when the Israelites left Egypt that night, that the Egyptians were just like, fine, get out of here. We're done with you. Good riddance. But, well, take a look here at the book of Exodus, chapter 12. And I believe we're going to go to verse 30. Yeah, start with verse 33. And you kind of get that picture. And the Egyptians urged the people that they might send them out of the land in haste. For they said, we shall all be dead. <laughs> This is bad luck charm. Get them out of here. So the people took their dough before it was leavened, having, having their kneading bowl, bowls bound up in their clothes and on their shoulders. Now the children of Israel had done according to the word of Moses, and they had asked from the Egyptians articles of silver, articles of gold, and clothing. Notice they didn't demand it like, give us this or more people will die. You know, it wasn't a threat. They just asked. It's interesting. And verse 36 says, And the Lord had given the people, now what's that next word? favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they granted them what they requested. Thus they plundered the Egyptians. Now plundered makes it sound like almost like robbery or some sort of thing, but clearly this was a voluntary exchange. They requested it and the Lord gave them favor and said, sure, take our stuff, go use it. And what happened, as you recall, with the stuff they acquired from the Egyptians? <laughs> well, eventually, but before that. Well, what the Egyptians had done with it was making idols, but what did the Israelites do with it? They made a sanctuary. They said, bring to me all the things. And they had all this stuff, not because slaves were so rich that they were laden with gold, but because the Egyptians from their wealth had given to the, to the Israelites for their religious purposes. Now, in a kind of a similar way, you see this same dynamic working in the ingathering thing. One of the things that's particularly fascinating about ingathering is it is exactly that. You're gathering in funds. That's what your purpose is, right? You're going to gather money. And it sounds like, oh, you're just trying to get money for your church. But what is the purpose of those funds? What is it going to do? Ministry to what people? To all people, right. Is it going to serve Seventh-day Adventist people? And what does the local church do with that sum of the money? Let's talk about this breakdown, because what you're referring to is the in-gathering reversion. So let's talk about that a little bit, okay? So, first of all, let me outline the dynamic of receiving before we talk about distributing again, okay? Now, what I find fascinating is that across the board, the Seventh-day Adventist church is not particularly a hugely wealthy denomination, or is it a poverty street? It's a very, you know, we have a good cross-section of our country and most countries that we're in. We're just run-of-the-mill, average, middle-class people, right? And here these middle-class church members go, and they're, most of the time, when you talk about doing ministry and doing felt-needs ministry, we're talking about going to the lower classes, right? You talk about community service centers, you talk about food bank stuff and clothing distribution, all of which is good, but usually... Uh, for the sake of nomenclature, we can all relate to, okay, you have the middle class, and their job is to 
help out the lower class. And someone does need to look after the poor. We have humanitarian needs. In fact, this is called hope for humanity. It's a humanitarian effort. But the funding for this aid that we give them comes from where? Middle and even upper classes. So what happens is, financially speaking, our average church member, a middle class average church member, will have the privilege of not only ministering amongst themselves and to local, but this is one of those areas that churches often don't have a window into working with the upper classes. Usually religion and stuff is seen as the common thing, but once you get intellectual, once you get academic, once you get up in the, it's kind of past that kind of thing. But I watched this several times. I'm kind of a history buff, and the Roosevelt's in our political American history uh, were not public servants per se. They were the aristocratic class. They were very wealthy. But Theodore Roosevelt's father, very wealthy man, could have never worked, but he decided to go into public service because he had what he called a troublesome conscience. He recognized, I've, I'm in this situation, but there's plenty of people who are not in this situation, and there was something. Now, he wasn't a particularly, you know, it was a religious man in a certain sense, but he wasn't in our sense of the word, you know. But there was something in him that knew that I could and should be doing something with my wealth. You look at the people of today. The biggest names, the biggest philanthropists are incredibly wealthy people. They're the ones who can have access to that kind of... I'm not tempted to give away a million dollars because I don't have a million dollars. There's only certain people who can do that kind of ministry. And they're probably not members of the church, but they know deep down that there is an expectation whether they want to attribute it to God or something else, but there's a troublesome conscience, okay? And when someone goes up and says, hi, friend, I hope you're having a wonderful season. We're out here trying to do work for other people. Can you help us help them? We, as the church, become the conduit for their benevolence, okay? So we give them the opportunity to minister, You think of the Jesus encounter with the woman at the well. He asked her for a favor as an entrance into her heart, right? This is one of those ways that we have this unique way of a single ministry reaches up to those with the funds to be benevolent and also reaches down to those in need of that benevolence. And we get to be the ones privileged with connecting those dots. It's pretty cool. So, Let's say that when uh, let's say that someone gives a hundred dollar donation, which would be very nice, but I mean I've seen it happen. I mean I've I mean it's not uncommon at all to get ten twenty dollars at a door. When you're going to sing it. People are so impressed that people even think about their neighborhoods and communities at all anymore. You know, and here's a band of people out young and old, and they're just singing. And it's great. And oh, praise the Lord for what you're doing. Go for it. They give let's say a hundred dollar donation. What happens with that money? Well, the bulk of it goes to Michigan Conference, but not for overtly, specifically evangelistic efforts. It goes to community service projects. It's going to be reinvested in our territory. Okay, But a portion of that money 
Let's say, well, I should have said like this. Though 100% is sent into the conference, none of it just stays right in the local. You don't just siphon off your percentage right there. You send it all into the conference, right? But the conference keeps how much? 75%. Okay? So what happens with the other 25%? Does it go to administrative costs and the pastors get a sweet chunk of that? That's why we're pushing this program? No. <laughs> I can tell you I don't see a penny of the ingathering money, nor would I want to. That would be really, really wrong. Okay? It needs to go to the very thing that we said it was going to go to, which is helping people in our communities. But not just generally in the state of Michigan, but specifically in your local field, right there in Ithaca or wherever you are, 25% of those monies goes right back to the local church there. But that local church can't spend it on Bible study offer or Jesus on prophecy. They have to spend it in certain ways that are disinterested benevolence for all the community. For instance, can you think of some local ministries that would be benefited by some of these funds? Friendship camp is one. You can also sponsor young people to go to summer camp. Homeless outreach, that kind of thing. I'm thinking of a big one that we all are familiar with. Adventist Community Service Center, ACS, right? A lot of people just say give all, and you can choose, I want a certain percentage to go to this, this, this. But you actually get just raw money for your own local church's outreach ministry from the people you're ministering to. It's a really interesting thing, right? So 25% goes to the local church, but it has to be for non-overtly evangelistic things. It has to be a felt needs community services type of ministry. Now, you might say, well, how does that further the work of the church? But remember the grow cycle, right? When we do these kinds of felt needs ministry, what is that doing when it comes to the work of evangelism? Thank you. Because remember the five phases of the growth cycle? One, two, three, four, five, right? The very first one is prepare the soil, right? Well, if you don't know the five steps, I don't know what you've been doing in a camp meeting for the last, whatever. Prepare, right? plant, and that means that's where we offer Bible studies and all that kind of stuff. Now, you can do that when you're soliciting. Praise the Lord. And at the Community Service Center, you can do that too. But you have to make sure that the primary purpose is the thing we said it's for. Okay? And then, of course, if they say, yes, I'd like that, well, you cultivate those interests by giving them Bible studies. And if they want to uh, continue in that, you harvest those decisions, maybe say in an evangelistic campaign or some sort of appeal, right? And then once they become members of the church, you preserve that crop, you make them disciples, and they in turn go and win. It's a cycle, right? But we're trying to integrate people into the faith, but we're doing it within the structure that we have solicited from. We said, look, we're just going to take these funds and do humanitarian work right here in our community. It's exactly what we're doing. But we know that by doing humanitarian work, we're softening the heart to be receptive to the seed of God, to the word of God, which is the seed, you know, the seed of truth. And so, yes, it is a part of the cycle of evangelism, though it does not go to overtly public evangelism and to give it. But what it does is prepares the people. Now, I want to read this statement to you from Desire of Ages, page 92. Um, 
it's another trick question. This will be the second trick question of the day. Yeah. Desire of Ages, page 92. 92. Now, this is not talking about, because the trick question would be, uh, how long was Jesus' ministry? <laughs> See, I, t- I tell you, it's a trick question. Do not trust your instincts. They were like, I got it. Now, you're right in a sense that, yes, his public ministry, from his baptism to his crucifixion and resurrection, that was three and a half years. But, I don't know if you ever thought about this. All of a sudden, Jesus had never been doing public ministry before. And all of a sudden, he steps out, starts saying some cool things, and everybody just flocks to him. Why? Like if a crazy guy just started saying, and you just, would people like, oh, naturally follow him? But listen to this. Page 92 of Desire of Ages. And I want to make sure we hear what it says and make sure we don't misread it. But it says, speaking of the childhood of Jesus, in his youth, it says, Jesus was the healer of the body as well as of the soul. He was interested in every phase of suffering that came under his notice, and to every sufferer he brought relief, his kind words having a soothing balm. Now, that's not to say he was like, well, she goes on to say, none could say that he had worked a miracle. So it wasn't like, you know, restoring broken bones and the sight to the blind and making dead people live again as a 13-year-old or something. That had been, well, that had been noticed, I'm sure. But virtue, the healing power of love, went out from him to the sick and distressed. Now, here's the last two sentences. Thus, in an unobtrusive way, he worked for the people from his very childhood. And here's the really kicker one that kind of knocked me off my horse here a little bit. I wasn't on a horse, but you know what I mean. And this was why, after his public ministry began, so many heard him gladly. This was why, after his public ministry began, so many heard him gladly. Because his good work, good works gave his good words credibility. Right? And in turn, those good words, the message he gave, gave his good deeds eternal significance. See what I'm saying? So you, you win their confidence. It's almost like there's a statement about that. Christ's method alone, right? You start by doing those things, but your goal is to go to the next phase, which is to bid them follow me. But in-gathering is one of those beautiful, wonderful, time-proven ways to soften the soil of the heart and prepare the people even who get... Because we often think about it, oh, we're gathering funds so we can help these people. But let me tell you, there's just as much help going to these people who give. In fact, doesn't the Bible say it's more blessed to give than to receive? That doesn't mean you're cursed if you receive. Of course, it's a blessing for that, but it's more blessed. It's blessed on both ends, but there's a blessing for those who give. And I don't mean just we're only soliciting the upper classes, but you understand what I'm saying. Those who can give, get a blessing in the giving. And then in turn, those who need that help are blessed when they receive, and we get to be blessed by being the conduit through which it happens. It's a wonderful thing. Tens of thousands of dollars come in every year for in-gathering right here in the Michigan Conference. And 25% of that goes right back to the local churches. This, I believe, is one of those untapped, because every community service I've ever seen, 
is always looking for more funds, always looking for more help. And we've got this vehicle. We don't have to solicit our own church members to ask them to give a double tithe and an extra this. Why don't we just go talk to the, for want of a better term, the Egyptians who are out there and say, would you like to help us help the rest of this community with their felt needs, with their temporal needs? And, and you don't have to be shy about it. We are some Bible-loving Jesus people. Sure, absolutely. Absolutely. Because humanity has in its heart, you look at the book of Romans, right? There is an, there's an innate, built-in, spirit-driven desire to know more and do more and be better than we are. And most people just don't have a religious framework to help understand that and see, oh, that every good gift comes from God, that I'm accountable to Him for these things. They just know that I should probably be doing something. They've got a troublesome conscience. And we get to be the, hey, this is what this is all about. We get to help them with that. So for me, this is one of the beautiful things. There's so many advantages to in-gathering, but one of which it does help in our overall evangelistic approach because the ultimate end is to have them become seven-day Adventist church members. And I, and I don't want to hear, I'm sorry, I do not want to hear this idea of we should just do it just to be nice and stop shoving the Bible down their throat. Don't do that. And here's why. Because the greatest thing we can ever give to someone is the hope of eternal life in Jesus. Right? right? So the ultimate friendly thing to do, uh, you guys ever heard of uh, Penn and Teller? Yeah. The ma- magician, I, I, don't, I don't advocate anything that they do. Please don't go look them up. He's a very foul language man, okay? But he's an avowed atheist. Not just like, I'm not sure, I'm an agnostic. No, he says, I know there is no God and you cannot convince me. Okay? But a man went up to him one time after one of his shows. And he was, wa- watched the show and he was putting... Anyway, and the guy came up and he gave Penn Jillette a Bible. And... You would expect, like, oh, I know this about atheists. Oh, he's going to just, and I'm just going to be a martyr for the cause. Here we go. Oh. And Pendulette said, man, I really appreciate that. Thank you so much. Now, that didn't change his mind. He's still a hard-hearted atheist, and only the Holy Spirit can work it out, right? But after that experience, he got online. I'm not advocating you look it up on YouTube, but I don't think he has any foul language in this one. But he tells the story of that guy giving him the Bible. And he said, look, I don't believe in God. But if you do believe in God, to the extent, to the same proportion that I don't believe in God, right? If you're absolutely 100% there is a God and that heaven and eternal life are real and hell to be feared and shunned, right? Then how much do you have to hate somebody not to share that truth with them? He said, I do not respect Christians who don't proselytize. He said, think about it. If you were walking down the road thinking everything was fine, but I could see what you couldn't, and I knew there was a truck barreling down on you, I could talk and yell and scream, but if you, there's a point at which I just tackle you. I don't care if you like it or not. And he said, and this is just a truck. He said, this, what you're dealing with is far more important than just a truck. So if it's real, if you're truly convicted that is real, then you must be telling people or you hate them. And this is from an atheist. See what I'm saying? So absolutely we should be, but the goal should be to introduce them to Jesus. 
But we should follow Christ's method alone to do that. Meet their needs, win their confidence, then bid them follow me. Now, so evangelistically, it's a great method. Financially, from a stewardship thing, it's a phenomenal thing. It's the one program in the church that the community will pay you to do. It's so cool. So there's a lot of benefits. Plus, let's think about this socially from a church family. It's a great church social to come together. If you guys go do this as a team and you have goals and you maybe do a big singing night out, it's great. So, I mean, evangelistically, financially, church social-wise, it's a wonderful, fantastic program. Now, there are different ways to do it. Now, I want to pass out some information to you. I, I, I'm very bad at saying this individual's name, but I will share the materials with you. Let me just, we can take one down, pass it around kind of thing. Maybe start one on one side, one on the other. As you're passing this out, I should explain to you that during this whole week of personal ministries trainings, both Sabbath school and personal ministries are supposed to be lay-driven initiatives, so it's a little ironic to have a paid pastor up here telling you how to do lay ministry, okay? So my goal is to have lay people who are leading out in these ministries in local church come and share with you effective tips on how you as lay people could do it better too, okay? Now, Nancy is unable to be here with us at camp meeting this time, but she put these materials together for you, so I am just her voice today, okay? I know I don't sound like a Nancy, but... Um, and you can see her name here at the bottom. Do any of you know her from the Ions Church? Okay, can you please pronounce her last name? Say it again. Predrajeski. Yes. Anyway, I think there are two vowels in her last name, and it's got 37 letters. No, so, anyway. But we met this sweet lady up in the Irons Church. We were doing a training a year and a half ago or so, or maybe a year or so ago. And we just started talking about in-gathering, and she opened up a treasure trove. If any of you know her, this is her lifeblood passion is to do in-gathering. She wants to see people doing it more. She's put together all these resources for it. And I was like, well, this would be the perfect thing. Unfortunately, she was able to be here at camp meeting, but she shared all of her materials for you to have. I only have two of them here for you today, but all of them will be available on our website. And let me make sure that you get this. Michigan, sspm.org. What does the SSPM stand for? Sabbath School and Personal Ministries. But my goodness, Sabbath School and Personal Ministries is a very long department title. And if we were to say Michigan Conference, Sabbath School and Personal you'd stop typing. You'd just be, I'm done. Okay? So if you go to this website, Michigan SSPM, all of the materials and resources from our camp meeting by the way, also training videos and testimony videos and global mission videos are all already uploaded on there. I think you're on one of them. I think you're on one of them. So we've already got something. If you want to go see those videos at Michigan SSPM, what we encourage you to do is use those testimony videos in your Sabbath school program to show that mission work is not just global, but it's also local. Okay. Anyway, but all of the resources for the Sabbath school live uh, seminar that I'm doing and this personal ministry seminar from camp meeting will be available after camp meeting on this website. So any material I reference here will be uploaded to the site you can download for free and share like the leaves of autumn. Okay? That makes sense? Okay, excellent. I can see by 
your faces. A lot of enthusiasm. Here we go. This is a personal letter to you from Nancy. What's her name? So, whether you are restarting a hope for humanity, which, by the way, is the official now, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Brand name for ingathering. It's called hope for humanity. But colloquially and uh, in the churches, it's just known as ingathering. You say, you want to go hope for humanity? People still don't know what you're saying. But you say, you want to go ingathering? Like, yeah, I know what that is. Okay. Whether you're restarting your Hope for Humanity uh, collection in your community or continuing to increase the return on your effort, try this method and see how it works. Stepping out into the community to ask for funds has not been a comfortable task for Larry or me, but we go, but go we must. Remember you're going on behalf of the many, a voiceless many who need us as spokes, a spokesperson. Go with the Lord at your side and know that your efforts will be rewarded. What is Hope for Humanity or in gathering? That should be a question mark. We'll fix that. <laughs> I think of this collection as similar to what happened when the Israelites were leaving Egypt. The Egyptians gave them money, jewelry, clothes, etc. All these things eventually went to produce a beautiful sanctuary. Likewise, the collection benefits not only our ch your church's outreach ministry in your community, but also the rest of the USA and around the world. When we choose to sit on our hands and not get active in this ministry, all these funds go wanting. How selfish of us not to move out even in fear, and see how God rewards our efforts. I love when lay people do stuff because they say things sharper than a pastor. We try to smooth things. She's like, you selfish, get off your hand. You know, I like that. Anyway, here is our process. And she lays it out in simple terms, and then she has a more elaborate, uh, more detailed document that we'll share in just a minute. But an overview in simple terms. Number one, gather a list of businesses in your area. Now, some of you might be thinking, I didn't know you went to business. I just thought you went door to door singing Christmas carols, right? There's different ways to do it. Their most effective way. Now, has any of you ever been to the town of Irons? You're like, wait a minute, there's not a town in Irons, right? But there's a church in the, in the town of Irons, and it's basically a four-way stop. But they don't have, like, a big business district. There's a, but, yeah, but let me tell you something. They're percentage-wise one of the best in-gathering reversion uh, churches in the conference. In that really rural town of Irons. And she's going to tell you how she does it. Here you go. No, no, no. She, she's like, yeah, they go outside of other places. No. Uh, she said, first of all, get a list of businesses in your area. I put them on an Excel database, uh, example included. Uh, the L and the N is for Larry and Nancy. She, she, she's going to have all these extra documents available, okay? Number one, if you're in an urban area, you may want to consider home-to-home -home visiting. So decide all the possibilities and order enough supplies for what you plan to do. So number two, order your supplies. And this is where you order it from. And of course, that's a physical address. If you just Google Advent Source, uh, you'll get all the digital online stuff. Now, this is important. The order form for supplies comes late in October. So I order this year for next year so we can start visiting businesses in late September or early October before the Michigan winter closes in on us. Now, that makes sense because here in Michigan, we have winter come usually, you know what, late, well, <laughs> here, June. Um, but... <laughs> But usually, I mean, it's, it's earlier than the rest. So, oh the, oh, the rest of North America might be, but we're up in that upper latitude. You might want to get an early start on your in-gathering plan ahead, right? If you want to do something more than just go Christmas caroling. If you're ordering supplies for this for the first time, order a double amount to use the first year, and then you'll have your supplies ready for next year. That makes sense. So from then on, you'll be ordering supplies every year in late October, but they will be ready for the next year's campaign. Number three, rewrite my introduction letter to fit your needs. 
And believe me, she's got a sample introduction letter, all the different things, and we're going to make those all available so you can download and say, I want that letter that they send to businesses. You just put your name in it. It's pretty cool. The short letter I send out in January may need to be longer for the first time you send it out. So make sure you and your church board have decided what this money will be used for. For instance, when you go communicate to the people, it's nice to know what it's going to go for because you have to stick to that. Whatever you say you do, you got to do. Okay. Um, do not expect the community to pay for the new carpet in your sanctuary. <laughs> right? Don't say this is going to our local church. Let them know what your church is going to do with those funds for the community. Right? All our churches need to have projects that bring us in contact with those in our community. I new baby package, holiday baskets, welcome wagon packet, homebound ministry, hospital visiting, fair booth, floats in small town parades, etc. Now notice this is written from a small town perspective. None of those things require a community service center or a large, you know, industrial thing. You don't have to have a community service center or food pantry to have a presence in your community. Let's get creative in the Lord's work. So think of some humanitarian project, even if you don't have a community service center, that you can do and say, that's what we're going for, and then put that in your letter. Say we're raising funds for this thing. Let people know where their money's going to go. So a fair booth is actually a legitimate... Yeah, as long as it's doing a thing that's not overtly like trying to like, here's the gospel, but you could do blood pressure checks, you could do any kind of public service thing, a felt needs community something. That's it. Okay? Now, that's not to say you, you can, of course, have your Bible study offer cards and everything there. The jig is up. You're a church, right? But the ultimate goal isn't just to get members in your church. You're trying to do something felt needs. Even if they reject the gospel, they can still have temporal help. Of course, we local radio station. That's fine. That's fine. No problem. But you can't just have a Strong Tower Radio booth. You know what I'm saying? You need to have some sort of felt needs ministry. And by the way, you can tune into Strong Tower Radio in here, but the primary thing needs to be the thing you said it was going to be for. Okay? Number four, mail out an introductory letter in late January as your formal introduction. Especially the first year you are beginning, it's important. If you haven't been doing Hope for Humanity, you want to introduce yourself and what the projects are that your church is doing that are a benefit to the community. We put the funds we receive into our food pantry. So there's what they do. Number five, in early September, mail out another letter that reminds businesses of the letter you sent in January. Don't expect people just to like, oh, I got the one letter. That's easy. Done. No, it's a start of a process to do this, right? Let them know about when you will be visiting them. And after a few years, they will have the check ready when you arrive. That's her trick, by the way. Her trick is to go wide and lay the groundwork over time and make these connections and be consistent with it. So when she shows up, here you go, here you go. And she just goes, and basically it's just collection season for her at this point. She just sweeps it up. It's pretty cool. After a few years, they'll have the check ready for you when you arrive. This year we had businesses mail their donations to us. <laughs> You're like, before you even come, here you go. Number six, develop your team depending on the number of businesses. Five or ten businesses per person are a good doable number for most busy people. Okay, so just make sure you're going to check in on them and cover those bases. Number seven, with much prayer, head out into your community with a smile and a happy heart. Number eight, here's the actual sample canvas. Hi, I'm from your hometown Seventh-day Adventist church and or community service center, whichever you want to say. And we are asking you to join in helping us, uh, join us in helping those in need here in our town and across the world. We sent a letter of introduction a few weeks ago. 
would you be able to contribute a tax-deductible donation this year? Now, why do you want to have all that cumbersome tax-deductible part in there? Yes, exactly. Not only do they have the troublesome conscience thing, oh, we'd love to be a help, but also we get a kickback on that. So it's a pretty fascinating little system that's in place there. Number nine, thank you very much. That implies when they donate. I assume you can say thank you even when they don't, but particularly enthusiastic when they do. Okay? Thank you for not calling the police. No, 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 let's not, let's not bring that into it. <laughs> thank you for not shooting me on spot. No. Yeah, you've already sent the letter of introduction. You're just following up on that letter. So you started with a very non-confrontation, not like pressury at all. You're just being very winsome. That's the goal. Number Yeah, yeah, it's like in a sweet Jesus loves you kind of way, we're coming. So yeah. But but I think that I think there's a lot of people, especially if they're not active in a local church, who they know that this is the type of stuff churches should be doing. And when they don't, it looks a little just... And when someone shows, well, hi, we're from this church. We're just out here donating our time so that we can help connect those who have with those who don't. And we want to help with that. They're like, that's really cool. God bless you. Thank you so much. You can give them a receipt right then and there or tell them that you mail them one. But if you tell them you're going to mail them, what do you need to do? Mail, mail it. You need to do it, right? We put it in with a thank you note. This thank you is very important. Number 10. Don't let this drag on and on. Get going and finish the work in two to three weeks before the snow flies. Number 11. Now, that's those first 10, notice we're all for the business approach. Number 11, transitions now. It is important that we not only solicit from businesses in our community, but also visit private homes. This is more easily done in urban areas and subdivisions and is a lot of fun. She explained to me the reason they don't do much home visitation is because it's like, you know, five miles in between each home and like you do one song and you're done. <laughs> so it's not as effective there. But the business model works for them where an urban area might do both, you know. Anyway, the weather may be chilly, but keep warm by running back to the car that is assigned to your group. Get warm and share your success stories and then jump out and keep going. Caroling can be done with much success in urban areas. Just as we are asked to do with BibleStudyOffer.com, develop singing groups of six to seven, whoever can squeeze into two cars, on, a, on one or two Sabbath evenings, plan to go out for two hours. Have some of the little brochures you ordered from Adventist Source ready to hand out, and I would also include a BibleStudyOffer.com and Strong Tower radio card, right? So this is that, you know, Joyson type of stuff, and that's the radio thing. These are those opportunities. When they give, oh, we have a gift for you this evening. Thank you so much. Um, these house-to-house -house visitations do not usually need a tax-deductible donation slip. Use those only with the businesses. And it dawns on me, I can't remember a time anyone's ever been like, now is this tax-deductible? I want a receipt. When people, you have young people singing carols at their door, and it's like, you know, the little orphan, just put a little something, they're not expecting, like, I want a receipt for that so I can take it to my cat tax assessor or whatever. It's, it's just not a thing. Businesses, however, count every penny. And we need to be honorable about that. Have one person as the up-to-the-door person. The rest keep singing. Use the same canvas as in number seven above. The rest of the group stands back a bit and sings as the door person gives his little introduction. Chris, uh, three Christmas carols are all you need to know. 
That's pretty, you know, I've, I've been on these groups and like, all right, last time, let's sing this one. And you get up there, just pick three songs and sing them over and over and over and over and over. It may drive you crazy, but it's the first time they've heard them. You know, it's nice. Uh, but, uh, it's, blah, blah, blah. Hopefully the singers have them memorized. Harmony is great. So sing out, sing loud, sing well. It's fun. Especially closer to Christmas, you'll be greeted with warm smiles and donations. I imagine if you did this in October, it'd be a little odd. Uh, <laughs> we wish you a merry... It's October. Okay, anyway. Besides your three carols, end with we wish you a merry Christmas as you walk away into the night. It's very nice. Okay. She, she writes then, when I was at the Lansing Church, we were... We were many times invited into Christmas gatherings for hot chocolate and cookies. I've had that happen. Have you even had that before you go to a home and they just say, oh, this is great. Come on in. It's really cool. This last year, I, uh, this might be a good time to let you know, uh, we're pr producing a in-gathering promo video that I want to show in all the churches around Michigan early or late summer, early fall, something like that to kind of pump, prime the pump for in-gathering. And to do that, I had to go get footage of people in-gathering this last time. So we got... Uh, video footage from November and December of this last year to get ready for this year. So I got to go around and watch all these people in gather. It was so fun, and I was filming it and everything. And uh, so we have like I think four or five different groups in there, and you get to see them singing and everything. But um, as we were in the neighborhood, there was uh, I was in uh, Muskegon, and they had one group on one side of the road, one group on another, and enough to go out like that. And these young ladies, two young ladies, I, I mean teenage or something like that, were in their I had to imagine it was the parents' vehicle, I don't know. But they're driving down the road, and they were like, are these people singing? And I, but they had their window rolled down because they were trying to listen, but that means I could hear their conversation in the car. So I was trying to eavesdrop and everything. And, and, there's, and, I, and they said, are they, I think they're Christmas caroling or something like that. And I was like, yes, they are. Would you like them to sing you a song? And they're like, uh, yeah, was that a thing? I said, everyone, come over. And they just came and surrounded this car. We wish you, and it was just so fun. And they were just like beaming. Think about, I mean, we live in such a community-deprived society, right? Everybody's isolated on their social, which is truly anti-social media, right? Here are real people singing songs just to be nice. And I don't know if they were headed out to a movie or a mall or whatever it is the young people do these days, you know. But they stopped what they were doing, and they gave a generous donation right there in their car, in the middle of the street. It was really fun. And I guarantee you, the Mississippi King Church family went back and was like, did you remember those young ladies in the middle of the street? It's really cool, you know? And uh, it just, it's such a, I just really like ingathering. Really fun. <laughs> anyway, she writes, uh, yeah, they, when I was at Lansing Church, we were many times invited to Christmas gatherings for hot chocolate and cookies. In very cold weather, we accepted the offer just to warm up. This is a great time for church members to be doing something fun and yet be helping those in need and making good impression in the community. Do you know how many people have never heard of Seventh-day Adventists? It's incredible. I can't believe people have heard of Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses. There's, like, there's hardly any Jehovah's Witnesses. There's over 20 million Seventh-day Adventists in the world. And people are like, you guys Jehovah's Witnesses? No. How do, how, why do people know Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses so much more than Adventists? Because they get out, now let me tell you something, I think what they teach is crazy, but they're proud of it. They're not ashamed of it. They let you know, hey, we're the, they knock on, the they knock on doors, they, they press that pavement, you know what I'm saying? If we truly have a message and we have the Christ method alone to follow, that we can go mingle with the people and win their sympathies and confidence and bid them follow, we should be out there more. 
So what a great opportunity when you, this wonderful thing comes up. It's like, who are you? Oh, I'm glad you asked. We're members of the Seventh-day Adventist Church right down the road. Oh, I didn't know anything. This will be their first contact with the Seventh-day Adventist Church is these smiley, happy, helping people. How cool is that? Anyway. Some of the older members stayed behind at the church to plan hot drinks and popcorn. When the teams came back, they would count the funds they had collected, and the results were posted on a whiteboard. A friendly competition would ensue. Now, from the Michigan Conference, we can't endorse that, of course, but, you know, <laughs> we don't want to make it... But it is fun, you know, just to see, hey, well, who came up with what? It's great. And next thing you knew, some teams would be seen rushing back out into the cold to bring in a few more dollars. She told me that. It's like, they'd be getting warmed up, and apparently another one beat them by 10 bucks. They're like, oh, I'm going back out. <laughs> It was fun. Be sure you order enough of the handouts from Advent Source to include in your letter of introduction to the businesses and also to leave with the families you visit. And please don't forget to make an appeal to your church family to dig deeply for, for this worthwhile collection. Now, there are some church families who will say, instead of organizing the work, they'll just say, our in-gathering goal this year is $100 per family or something like that. I think the implication is you're going to go solicit your friends, family, neighbors, businesses, coworkers, whatever, that you're going to be individually doing this solicitation. But what will typically happen when you do that? They'll just give from what they've already got, right? Which just makes it a special offering. Let's just call it what it is. But that really shorts, I mean, praise the Lord for the extra funds, right? But please don't call that in-gathering. Because you haven't gathered in, you've just gathered from without, you've already got. You know what I'm saying? It, it's the purpose, the, the, the magical key, the miraculous key, I should say, of in-gathering is the personal ministry to the community that this is uniquely suited to do. Okay? Let me finish this up real quick. In the time we have remaining, I'll give you another resource here. Please don't forget to make it be, uh, yeah, blah, blah, blah. I'm going to be praying for your success and will be excited about next year's report on the increase. God be with you. Nancy P. <laughs> now, let me pass out one other thing. Um, much like the introductory uh, paper there, this is very similar, but it's a little bit more detailed in the actual nuts and bolts process that she goes through. So it's got an introduction, page one, then page two is the pre-planning, how and when to order materials, and number th three is the in-gathering process. So it's a more detailed version of the generalized outline we just went through, okay? So I would encourage you to look through that, and by the way, besides those items, she also sent, like I said, Sample letters, sample thank you letters, sample introductory letters, blah, blah, blah. Now, I didn't print off all of those for everybody, but those will all be available at michigansspm.org. You can go there and go to, I don't know if it's resources tab or something like that, but we'll have a banner up there. You can click on it. It'll, it'll make it easy to find, okay? Um, but all of the resources, and we're going to have a promo video that you can show in your local church to people out there enjoying in gathering because what I'd love to do is see a revitalization of this branch of personal ministries work in all of our churches. There's, you know, the business aspect, there's the getting out in the community, there's the social aspect, the fine. It's just good all around. So I'd highly encourage it. We only have a couple of minutes left, but do any of you have any questions or comments? Yes, ma'am. I'm 54 years old, and I remember in gathering when I was a child, and I remember the little thing that we said. And I oh. want to share with you guys. Yes. 
Um, I am a little missionary trying to do my part. I'm not just knocking at your door. I'm knocking at your heart. Won't you please give? And I think I remember going with the older people of the church, and they'd sit to have teach us this little thing, and it was fun. And, Yes, by the way, that's a critical element. Thank you so much. This is not thing, nothing requires special training in this one. Just learn a quick little canvas, go out with your friends, go out with the old. This is a brilliant way to have the older and younger generations work together, right? It's not age discriminatory. It's not limited to one demographic or anything. It's great. And let me tell you something. You have some doe-eyed, happy, red-nosed kid giving this little canvas while people are singing. It does, it's like the appeal song at the end of a Mark Finley campaign. It's striking a chord in the heart. And that's what we're going for, is to reach the heart. Yes, ma'am. There's a young gentleman that goes to our church, he's only 14, and he was talking, his Sabbath school teacher was telling me that he was telling her, we don't go door to door like we used to. Mm. Like, we need to do that more. It's like, you know, because um, when you adults hand out stuff, some people might not want it, but he's like, Whenever I hand out stuff, nobody's going to tell me no. True story. And so we need to have the kids. Yeah. We need to be doing it. Amen. Amen. I, we, took our, we took our own kids just go door to door to do Bible study offer stuff. If you put a kid and a cookie along with that Bible study offer card, you're going to give every one of them away. They're going to ask for It's great. You know? So we're just looking for, and it's not like tricking. We should actually be nice. Right. It actually helps, you know. So it's a good thing to do. Any other comments or questions? I want to be timely and make sure we're out of here in time, but I don't want to miss anything. All right. So look for more of those resources on michigansspm.org. They're, going to be, they're not available now, but they will be shortly after camp meeting. We're going to get it up and running. Yes, ma'am. I just have one Please. comment on the upper class. In the yes. Evangelism says we are to actively go after. Yes, we are. Yes, we are. Though they have all the world's goods, everybody thinks they're all okay. So right. I'm paraphrasing, but uh, most are very soul burdened. Yes. Yes. We need to be reaching out to them. Yes. Absolutely. We have gotten this mentality. We've bought into a false narrative that, you know, religion's only for, you know, down here, but up there. They, everybody needs Jesus. And we have to find creative ways to reach their hearts too. I absolutely agree. Quickly, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for in-gathering. Help us to go do your work well. For we pray it in Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.